Well, I've got a weird question for you as I get started with the message today. Have you ever thought about how you would escape prison if you were in it? Like I said, it's a weird question, but surely this has crossed your mind. You've seen enough movies, you've seen TV shows with prison breaks. We live in the Bay Area. You've been to Alcatraz and you've wondered if you could make the swim. All right, would you hide a spoon in your cell and every night, a little bit at a time, chip away at the concrete behind a poster to create a tunnel, Shawshank style? Would you get a job in the laundry room and hide in a giant laundry bin that gets wheeled out onto a truck and takes you to safety? Would you have a loved one bake a file into a cake and bring it on visiting day? You can see all of my ideas come from movies I've watched. But let me share with you some of the most creative, real escapes that have happened in recent years. Uh, of course you know about El Chapo, the notorious drug lord from Mexico. 10 years ago, he bribed some guards and they actually did help him escape through a laundry cart, pushed him outside the prison where he hopped into the trunk of a waiting Chevy Monte Carlo. He was eventually caught, sent back to prison, but 17 months later, he escaped again when he stepped into a prison shower and found a mile long tunnel that was built just for him. You guys, this tunnel had lighting, ventilation, and a motorcycle. Eventually he was caught again. Now he's in prison in the United States. Or let me tell you about Choi Gapbok. Choi was an avid practitioner of yoga, 23 years doing yoga, and he was arrested on suspicion of robbery. He was in jail for five days before he applied large amounts of skin ointment to his body and squeezed through the tiny slot at the bottom of a jail cell that they used to give prisoners their food. Okay, the space was only six inches tall and 17.7 inches wide. Just to show you how small that is, I went to Lowe's and bought a ceramic tile that is six by 18. This is it. This is nuts. Can you imagine squeezing through something this size to escape? All right, one more. Michel Valjour. Michel was serving a lifelong sentence for attempted murder and armed robbery. Well, one day he decided to paint some nectarines he found in the prison, nectarines, he found these in the kitchen, paint them to look like hand grenades, and he used these hand grenades, nectarines, to force his way onto the prison roof where his wife Nadine, who had been taking helicopter lessons so she could help his escape, where Nadine landed a helicopter, picked him up, they flew to a nearby football field where a car was waiting, and they drove away. That that is dedication, to sign up to take helicopter lessons just for this one moment of helping your spouse escape from prison? Well, you may never have a need to escape from prison, at least I hope you don't. But I wonder if there isn't a different type of escape that we do all the time. I read this week that a survey of 2,000 U.S. adults showed that we spend roughly 13 hours in an average week escaping our reality reading books, watching movies, listening to music, playing video games. Um, the most interesting one to me, they found people spend 44 minutes a week just daydreaming. And the most common daydreams, 60% of people dream about what it would be to win the lottery. 54% dream about an exotic vacation. Okay, when they ask them what it is they dream they would do on that exotic vacation, the top answer, 55% said sleep. Anyway, when you do the math, 37,440 hours of your lifetime will be spent escaping in some way or another your reality. 
That is four years, 99 days of your life. And to be clear, that's not time spent on actual vacation, which, which wouldn't be escaping your reality. That's changing your reality for a week or two. This is time spent just thinking about it or, or numbing your mind to what's going on. Now, I think we should say that some of this is good. There's nothing wrong with getting yourself to a movie theater, reclining your seat as far back as it goes, getting a bucket of hot buttered popcorn, watching the latest Marvel movie while you escape your reality for two and a half hours. It's, it's all fine and good to have moments of escape throughout our day. But there are instances where escape gets bad. Let me give you two that immediately come to mind. The first, when we try to escape things that we can't escape, and the second, when we escape into things that are not good. Let me be real specific about what I mean by that second one. Substances that we drink or smoke or take for the purpose of altering our mind so that we can escape what's happening in our lives or escape the feelings we feel about what's happening in our lives. Um, sexual activity meant is an escape that, that's not used the way that God had in mind when he created something wonderful like sex. What I mean by that, one night stands and hookups on Tinder, extramarital affairs, it's all an escape. Video games, um, binge watching Netflix, these are not intrinsically bad, right? It, it, it just might be a problem when six hours later you've watched all of season one of the Great British Baking Show instead of actually making food for yourself. Even work can become an unhealthy escape. What's at the core of workaholism? Someone using work to avoid something else that they're feeling that they don't wanna have to feel. Where escape gets bad is when we escape into things that are not good, or, or maybe I should modify that. that. That in some cases are good, but our use of them for the purpose of escaping our reality ends up making them bad. And again, escape is bad when we try to escape things we cannot escape. Like, like, you ready? Our shame. No amount of alcohol is gonna make that go away. Our failures. When I finally stop my Netflix, my Netflix binge, they're still there. Our, our legitimate worries and, and fears about legitimate problems. While the weed you smoke might make you forget about it tonight, tomorrow those fears will be back. Escaping reality gets bad when you can't really escape reality. Conflict with others. When you're married, escaping to another person who's not your spouse isn't gonna solve the problems with the person you're committed to back home. There are some things in life you cannot escape, and when you try to escape them, that's when escape gets bad. E even just the demands of your daily life, they don't go away because you escape into new demands that you create for yourself at work. And see, when you try to escape things that you cannot escape or escape to things that are not good or, or normally would be good, but you're escaping them for the wrong reasons and that makes them bad, it can lead to addiction. It can lead to neglect. It can, it can lead to missed opportunity. It can lead to the problems and feelings you escaped from going undealt with, which 99% of the time leads to bigger problems. And I wanna show you something in the Bible today that is another option that God gives us to deal with our problems instead of escape. I wanna show you something that God gives us to deal with our feelings and anxieties instead of escape. And like the other weeks in this series, we find it in the darkness. It's the story of a guy named Jacob. 
The Jacob story is so vast, we won't have time to read it all together, but here's what I'll tell you. Jacob has a brother named Esau that was born before him, just a few minutes before him. And as such, Esau was the one who customarily, traditionally, legally, legally would receive his father's blessing or birthright when he was old enough to receive it. Jacob, not so much. He's the second born. Those things don't belong to him. Well, the story goes that, that one day Jacob goes into their blind father and he pretends to be Esau. He wears Esau's clothes. He actually glues some hair to his arms to, to make himself feel like Esau to their blind dad. And their dad gives him the birthright. Jacob essentially steals it from his brother. Well, Esau finds out and he is so angry that he decides he's going to kill Jacob. Kill him. Not good. So Jacob does what any of us would do when he hears his brothers out for revenge. He escapes. He leaves town. He goes where no one can find him. He decides to start over. Now, like I said, it's a long story. Jacob meets and marries a wife. Actually, he meets and marries a second wife. Another crazy story for another time. And Jacob is in this foreign land for years, building a family, building a business. Things are good until... God tells him to go back home, to move back home. And Jacob has a problem. He is going to see his brother again. And Jacob starts to feel some things, right? He feels shame. Like, now that I'm a little wiser and older and I have a family of my own and kids of my own, I can't believe I did this to my brother. What kind of horrible person am I? He feels shame. And he feels anxiety. What if? All the what ifs start coming up. What if I go and I find out that my brother's life has been terrible because of what I stole? What if my family refuses to talk to me now? What if I move back and I try to restart my business in this old place and I can't get it off the ground? What if God is telling me to move back because he's going to finally punish me for the bad thing that I did? Do you know the what ifs that anxiety brings? He's feeling the what ifs. His mind can't stop thinking of all the what ifs. And he feels fear, like real fear. Like, you know, last time I was here, my brother was vowing to take revenge on me by murdering me. This is not a what if. This one is an actual threat. So let me show you what Jacob does. We read about it in Genesis 32. Verse 3 says, Jacob sent messengers ahead of him to his brother Esau in the land of Seir, the country of Edom, and he instructed them, this is what you are to say to my Lord Esau. Your servant Jacob says, I've been staying with Laban and have remained there till now. I have cattle and donkeys, sheep, goats, male, female servants. Now I am sending this message to my Lord that I may find favor in your eyes. Do you notice that Jacob is going all out over the top with the respect, calling his brother his Lord, all that? He's landed on thick because he's afraid. Verse six, when the messengers returned to Jacob, they said, we went to your brother Esau and now he is coming to meet you and 400 men are with him. Um, your brother's on his way and he's bringing 400 guys. My friends, that's not good. That is a bad sign. So Jacob decides to do something. Verse 7 says, In great fear and distress, Jacob divided the people who were with him into two groups, and the flocks and the herds and the camels as well. All right. The first thing I want you to notice there are Jacob's feelings. 
The Bible doesn't always talk about feelings. It talks about events. But in this story, the feelings are the events. Fear, distress, the same thing he felt years ago that caused him to escape. Escape those feelings, escape his reality. So it says that Jacob decides to split his family, his possessions, his business into two groups so that if Esau comes and attacks one, the other might escape. And then Jacob sends some servants with gifts. Maybe I can buy my way out of this. And then Jacob decides to go spend the night alone in the darkness. Jacob whose life had been filled with wives and servants and kids and cattle and his business and things that could distract him from what he had done so many years earlier. Jacob decides to spend the night alone with no one and no thing and feel his feelings for the first time. He decides not to escape. And in verse 24, we read, So Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him till daybreak. Now, the Bible is weird sometimes. As a pastor who spent my adult life teaching this, can I tell you, it's weird. How could Jacob be alone and also have a man there with him wrestling? Who is this man? And, and why has WrestleMania 1 broken out in Genesis 32? This comes out of nowhere. Well, what you're going to find out in a few verses is that this is God. Shoot, should I have said spoiler alert? Uh, actually, it helps make this less weird if I tell you now that this is God. And in fact, it's important for you to know because the first thing you need to see in this passage to help you deal with the feelings you feel that you want to escape from, but you're not going to ever escape. The first thing you must know about this is that even when you are alone with your feelings, you are not alone. God is there. If you're afraid of feeling your feelings, and it's what causes you to escape your reality, especially into things that are not good or become not good, what you must know is that if you allow yourself to feel those feelings in the darkness, you will not find yourself alone in that dark place. God will be there with you. He will be there with you as you feel shame. He will be there with you as you feel failure. He will be there with you as you feel anxiety. And in fact, that's where God is, waiting in your feelings for you to feel them so that he can wrestle with you. Verse 25 says, When the man saw that he could not overpower Jacob, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip so that his hip was wrenched as he wrestled with the man. And then the man said, let me go, for it is daybreak. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go unless you bless me. All right, how in the world, if this is God, does God not win this wrestling match? I don't know. Again, the Bible is weird. It's wonderful, but it's weird. Is it that God has taken on the form of a man, and as such, um, he's not as powerful as he would have been otherwise? I have no idea. Here's my best guess that this is not about winners and losers, that the point is for Jacob to wrestle. And the point is for it to take a long time. And the point is, wrestling through your stuff is where God does his work in you. You have got to wrestle with the things you're trying to escape so that God can do something with you and he can do something with those things. Now, now keep that in mind and watch this. Verse 27. The man asked him, what is your name? And Jacob, he answered. 
And it says, then the man said, your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you have struggled with God and with humans and have overcome. Well, Jacob said, please tell me your name. But he replied, why do you ask my name? And then he blessed him there. So Jacob called the place Peniel, saying, it is because I saw God face to face, and yet my life was spared. Okay, this is where God reveals that it's him that's been wrestling with Jacob. He is the man. But I don't want you to lose what happens in the beginning of that section. God changes Jacob's name. It is no longer Jacob, which, by the way, meant deceiver because Jacob was a liar. He lied to his brother. He lied to his dad. If I could read you the whole story, a long history of lying. But now you will be known as Israel because you struggled with God and overcame. This is what I I meant when I said wrestling with your feelings and, and your dark emotions is where God can do his work in you. He can change you. You know where he does not change you? While you're escaping into another glass of wine, into another episode, into another two hours of video games. Can I tell you what I fear most for the coming generation of kids growing up in a digital world with phones and screens and distraction at their disposal every single minute? that they won't grow up knowing how to be alone with their feelings. Because in the alone, they'll find that they're not alone. And as they wrestle with their feelings, they'll find that God there with them is going to change them. All right, one more thing I want you to see. Back to verse 29 again. Jacob said, please tell me your name. But the man replied, why do you ask my name? And then it says, then he blessed him there. God blessed Jacob there. Now, the Hebrew word for bless in this story is the Hebrew word barak. Barak means blessing. There are other words for blessing as well, but this one is kind of different. Here's what this word for blessing means. It means for your weakness to be compensated with God's strength. It means for God to give you his strength and power to do that which you don't think that you can do. When Jacob says, give me your blessing, what God turns around and gives him is his strength. And this is the third thing, the the final thing I want you to know out of this story. You, like me, who have a tendency to want to escape our feelings and our anxieties and our struggles and our problems, You who want to escape because you think you're too weak to handle it. God gives you his strength in the darkness. You aren't made stronger by escaping. You're made stronger by wrestling. Now, I'm going to leave you without much more on that one until next week. Because Jody is going to go a lot further with that idea. But the way that this story ends, Jacob goes on to meet his brother the next day. And it ends up going well. His brother forgives him. They end up rebuilding their relationship. All is well. All right. Let me ask you one more question. I asked one at the beginning. If you had to escape prison, how would you do it? Let me ask one kind of similar as we wrap up. Assuming that you've got problems and struggles and anxieties, how do you escape them right now? What is your method of escape these days? I mentioned some at the beginning, ways we escape to things that are not good or, or that are good, but they become bad because of, of what you're trying to escape. Substances, sexual activity, um, work, 
unhealthy relationships, social media, TV, even daydreaming, would you take a look at where you might be avoiding or, or trying to distract yourself from some darkness you're going through that God wants to meet you in? And would you, having identified your usual escape method, allow yourself this week instead to feel, to experience the darkness so that you can meet God there because he's waiting in it for you. And then, would you wrestle? Would you struggle so that God can wrestle with you and give you his strength?